Okay, hello everybody. My name is Robin T. I'm a compulsive overeater, and I've been asked to lead the meeting, which is is a, a great honor. I um, I'm not sure I was born a compulsive overeater, but probably I had the um, the ingredients of fellow named Casey and another program has been quoted that um, their beverage uh, the problem they had was um, alcohol was not the solution alcohol was the problem and that's the same for me with food I had the makeup of a compulsive overeater I was um, as it says in the big book Irritable, restless, and discontented. I had a full of fear, and also somewhere in the book, fear means fear of losing something or not getting what you have. And um, it's a wonder I'm alive when I consider all that. I mean, I won't mention the beverage thing constantly, but I have 38 years in that program and 18 years in OA, which tell abstinence, which tells you something. The things that we stay away from are referred to as trigger foods. I can't, um, one one is too many and a thousand's not enough. I ate, I started off, I remember me and my darling brother and my mom who got me into OA, um, my brother would have the contest where we'd eat um, uh, sugar, white or brown, and see who could finish it the quickest. Uh, basically, I, I I know there's an onus there, but food played a part in our lives and how we related to each other. But let's get to the normal stuff. I had a lot to be grateful for. I look at my mother, and I know now, she loved me, although I went through that cocky kind of nonsense that teenage that parents have to put up with. I know my mother loved me. She did the best she could, and I say that to people. That's true for me. I'm not trying to minimize. I used to really, really get um, ticked off when I'd hear people say that, and. That was my experience. I they did the best they could can, and today my mother gave me so much. I mean, I um, I went through alcoholism and overeating, and I did violent, awful things to her. And um, I, violent, awful things, and I um, remember 
I went I joined Overeaters Anonymous in April first of nineteen eighty three and the same day I got sober the I remember the um at the the um OA meeting at the end of the meeting the secretary came up to me and said well, Robin, what'd you think of the meeting? And um, oh man, talk about full of it. I said to her, "Well, with exactly that time, you got a good thing here, but um, I came to OA to lose some weight, not to be told that I had a disease. I mean that that's." That's a dead ender humor wise. Nobody's gonna be attracted to this program humor wise. I wanna lose some weight and today what I know is that identification is what's important to me. I find people who are working this program and have what I want, who are saying something I can identify with because, and that that said, and they do that by setting a good example, by talking about how the program has affected their life, not by saying, "I want a girlfriend, I want a boyfriend, God's let me down," and you know, all, all stuff like that but how the program has helped them lead a better life. I um, felt that God had ripped me off and that I'd been cheated. And, um, you know, they talk about our lives had been unmanageable in step one. Step two... um, uh, talks about restored to sanity. Uh, I'm a man. I mean, I took that, my ego, edging God out, right? My ego took that as a horrible insult. I, um, I'm i not insane. I just want to lose weight, you know, but still had to have the ego smashed, which people will say that. They say you have to have the ego smashed and realize that you're sick. I mean, this darling woman named Jane Gray, in a way, said to me, Robin, when we pray for help, we ask for a God, we ask for his ever-loving presence, or her, of course, and that's what worked for me many times. I mean, I... May the searching and fearless moral inventory of our defects of character. I was molested as a as a child. My grandmother molested me. I was sent over there a lot by my parents, who apparently didn't understand what was going on. And she molested me. And one night, I finally said. I, she said to me, I'm your mother. The other, your other mother isn't your mother. I'm your real mother. And I realized something was wrong, and I called my parents and said, could you come out and get me? And my father 
backhanded her that my grandmother said to me, you're never coming over here again. Now with my father, he had his faults, but he tried really hard. I mean, I can see that. This was a tortured man. He died at 42, and I was 17. And that's when my the beverage thing and the food thing really took off because, uh, you know, I don't want to say no parent, but it. I had no parent. I had no direction to go. I had very little in my life. And 17, I joined uh, away at 32. So those years were the the horror years spent by myself. I mean, I had nothing. And I had to hit bottom. I, I am, after praying to God and praying to God and not finding him, I had to hit bottom. And how I hit bottom was I realized I was desperately sick. I mean, you know, in the way a newcomer does, which is kind of, in my case, not completely, but I needed help. And I came in to AA in a way, and it saved my life. I mean, I remember... I I have this sense that I'm jumping around a lot. I'm going to try to focus a little bit here. I remember when I took my first candle, um, I went to this meeting in Hollywood at Highland and, I mean, at, at uh, New Hampshire and Hollywood called the Hollywood Squares, that was um, 300 people full of, as far as I know, mostly gays, happy, joyous, and free gay people in the early 80s, screaming with joy. It was a joyous meeting, just so happy. And I had been taught, and I'm grateful it says an acceptance was the answer. We look for the similarities among people and they increase. We look for the differences and they increase. That's an acceptance was the answer, which is in our literature. I'd encourage you all to read it. Anyway, I got up there. I was nervous as heck. I was on the stage and I was giving thanks to to program and I looked out in the audience and I said and I I saw my mom my mom was crying convulsively because she never believed I'd get sober but there I was and I later after having been the kind of person I um Attacked my mother, basically. I'm nervous about saying that because there are ladies in the audience, and I don't expect anybody to identify with that. But I saw her, and she was crying convulsively. She told me later, 
I thought you'd be dead. I never thought you'd be sober um, or or abstinent. And I took her to make my amends, and I'll talk about that. I cried. I started crying, and I said, Mom, you you can't forgive me. I don't believe I can ever deserve to be forgiven for what I've done. Who, who, what sort of human being assaults their mother? Who does that? I'm a monster. And I, you know, that's a bit of self-pity, I suppose. But um, she took my hand, my mom did. She was in Al-Anon. She took my hand and said, isn't it nice we found each other at last, for better or for worse? That's what she said. And that's what happens in program. We find each other at last. And that, that's a miracle. And I will, let's see, another one. I read my fourth step to this wonderful man where I talked about being molested. And I'd written about 10 pages, four columns, but I got 10 pages. And I cried and I cried and I cried and I practically hyperventilating. I went through two boxes of Kleenex because I couldn't stop crying. And he was very patient. And when I went home, about 20 miles from where I was, the sky it had been raining, and the sky had turned clear and was blue and was beautiful. And I believe that God is with us always, but God, in that sense, polished the sky for me to see. Those miracles God gives me are there for me to see. And all I have to do is open my eyes and say, God, I'm nervous. God, I'm lonely. God, I'm afraid. Please help me. And if it if it doesn't work, if you feel, oh no, this program, yada yada, this program's horrible. It doesn't work. Call somebody up. I'll give my number. I can't pretend to, to say that I have the answers. I've had experience, though. I've gone through incest right now. I've survived um, psoriatic arthritis, is it? Uh, but violently painful arthritis, which I survived with scratching, asthma, hospitalized because of asthma. Earlier on, I was compulsively violent and several other things. And... I survived them because in this program, I was told, this is a blueprint. This program is a blueprint for success, for your continued uh, life and love and tolerance of others is our code. Gentle reminder, Robin. Five? Five minutes. Okay, beautiful. That's just perfect. God is there. At one time, unfortunately, I don't have a license and I've lost my job because I got in a car wreck 
it was my fault, and I thank you, God. Nobody was hurt, and and um, I was sitting, standing there. The police had been called to take a report after this car wreck, and they said, God, God, please. And I, I was sobbing. I can't feel you, God. Please, please come to me, God. I, I, I love you. I can't feel you. I'm very scared. Please, please. And I'm sobbing up now, but please help me. And I heard a voice. Sometimes this happens. I heard a voice that says something out of the big book. God either is or he isn't. The choice was ours. What was it to be? And you folks that are atheists, I don't want you to feel bad or persecuted or looked down on. I love atheists. That's your choice. And you can work step three. I've known people who work it their way. But for me, I'm very glad. I have a higher power. I have the Thoreau Emerson higher power that's in everything. When I go for a walk and see something beautiful, a sunset, a rainfall, a, a, a dirt, <laughs> dirt even, grass, trees, leaves, cars, people, I'll say, thank you, higher power, because God's in everything. And I act as if that's true. That belief holds me through the day. God is in everything, which means I pass my higher power many times during the day, and I pray to be aware of it. I read page 86, which says in the big book, Upon arising, we thank God for our day. We uh, ask that our attitude be free from self-pity, self-seeking or dishonest motives. And there's a lot more to that. In the big book, page 84 to 88, self-pity means they're doing it to me. I'm a victim. They're persecuting me. Self-seeking means I'm going to get even, but they can't do that. I'm going to get even. And dishonest motives means lying about it. No, I'm not doing all that. I'm not. And what we're given, if we set all this aside, is a life, a beautiful life. And do I have this? I talk so glowingly about goals. No, 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 no. I'm working towards these goals. This is a part of my life. Um, we work towards the goals. I work towards the goals. I make up 10 things I'm grateful for. My sponsor makes up things he's grateful for. I call people up and do the same thing because gratitude, Bill Wilson said, founder of the co-founder of AA, gratitude is acknowledgement of the hidden presence of angels. Maybe not so hidden, but um, gratitude is a blessing, and that is, um, there is never a moment that doesn't present 
the chance to be grateful. And I'm so happy to have been introduced to that concept because I am a depressive. I have that tendency. I am full of anxiety. I have that tendency. But I've been given a way out. That's another thing Bill Wilson uh, thought he wanted to call the the big book, A Way Out, because it presented a way out for hopeless drunks who are locked into a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. They'd been given a way out. I mean, imagine. <laughs> I, I'm crying so much. I'm not sure I'm making sense anymore. But thank you so much for asking me to speak. This is the best thing. I ever did with my life. If you slip, don't give up on yourself. 18 years abstinent, 30, not, no, 40. I'm coming in on 40 years sober. Wrap up, please. Oh, okay. And uh, it's a miracle. I've been given a miracle. That's all. Thank you. I love you all. I only love the beautiful people, and you're all beautiful people. Please don't ever forget that. I'll leave my number in the chat, okay?